Amen. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. While you're turning there, uh, or while you're getting ready to look at the screen, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm old school. I still remember people turning in their Bibles, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, there's a lot of hurt in this world that we live in, and along with it, there comes a lot of anger and bitterness. But the principles that are found here in this passage are really powerful and liberating. If you get to know this truth tonight, I'm telling you, it really will set you free. So here we go. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I heard about a woman who had an abusive husband and she went to her pastor one day, asked for counsel about the situation. And after he listened to her for a while, he said, well, now have you tried heaping coals of fire on his head? And she kind of thought for a moment. She said, no, but I've poured hot water on him. I don't think that's what it's talking about here. But here's the thing. It is human nature to want to repay evil for evil. It's natural for us to, in a sense, want to defend ourselves. And so when we are hurt in some way, whether it's verbal or physical or emotional, however that comes, you know, there's this natural tendency for us to want to retaliate immediately. And we need to hear this tonight that we can't just do what comes natural to our old sinful nature. I, you know, we see this even in the two-year-olds. You know, when one two-year-old starts kicking another two-year-old, uh, well, they start crying, but you know what else they do? They want to fight back. They want to grab some hair or bite them or something. And we do the same thing. We just do it a little bit differently. Y'all got real quiet. In, in our old nature, we do the same thing. We just do it a little bit. You know, we're more grown up. You know, you're driving down the highway and they show you some sign language and you show them some sign language. It's like two-year-olds fighting in the two-year-old class. Man, I don't know why I have to offend people right out of the gate. But it doesn't matter where you go or what you do. We all have a, a opportunities to be offended, to be hurt. Every single day, pretty much. I mean, unless you stay home, and I guess you can find something to be offended about online or on the TV. But anyway, you go down the freeway, you mistreated at the grocery store line, you're abused by your family, taken advantage of by your employer, betrayed by a friend, stabbed in the back by a brother or sister in the Lord. It happens. In this world, you're going to have trouble, and guess where most of it comes from? People. <laughs> And it makes you angry, it can make you bitter, and it can make you hard-hearted. But the truth will set you free. You know, Jesus teaches us things like, turn the other cheek. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you don't defend your family. Turn the other cheek means that you don't respond to an insult. He teaches us to forgive, that we are to be Merciful, just as our Father in heaven is merciful to us. He tells us to bless those who curse us. He tells us to pray for those who mistreat us. He tells us 
to love our enemies. And as born-again believers, we're supposed to be partakers of His divine nature. And He certainly is a forgiving God. But we need to remember this. He is God, and contrary to what some nut jobs teach today, we are not. Because it takes about 15 seconds to undo some of that goofy doctrine that some people teach. Just saying. We were created in His image. And no, it does not say exact replica. That is hogwash. That is not at all what it says. And one of the ways that we, were, that we are different from Him, you see, He is unique. He alone has all power. He alone has all knowledge. He alone has all wisdom. The only wise God. He alone dwells in unapproachable light. He alone has the place to be the judge and the avenger. He alone, it is unique to him. It is not our place. And he tells us that very clearly in his word here, but it's also in other places too. So I want to share a few things about this tonight, that vengeance belongs to the Lord. He is the one who repays. Here's one of the ways people steal from God. You know, when they talk about stealing from God, they always talk about the tithe. Well, this one happens even more often than that. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, he says. When we seek to repay an evil for an evil, then we are putting ourselves in God's place as judge and avenger. We're taking something that clearly belongs to him. Verse 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Okay, well, most people. No, no one. What an amazing command. Don't repay any man evil. That sure does go against the grain of our culture, to not repay evil to anyone. A wrong is done to you and you don't repay no matter what. Oh, that just violates our sense of justice. We got to have justice. And I want you to understand, the scripture teaches there is a time and a place that we are supposed to stand up for justice we're supposed to, you know, fight for justice for the weak and those that are being wronged. We need to understand that. But when we are wronged, we need to get this. It is the Lord's place to repay that evil. Verse 18, he says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Wow, there's a, there's a word we could just have about three sermons on right now. I tell you, we need to hear this word that as much as is possible, as much as depends on you, you live peaceably with all men. Now I want to tell you that Jesus didn't live in peace with all men. Peter and John didn't live in peace with all men. Paul didn't live in peace with all men. And if you live godly for Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. You're not going to live in peace with all men. But as much as is possible, as much as depends on you. And so I want to clarify. Yeah, you got to do 
what God wants you to do. You got to obey God rather than men. Yes, you have to hold to the standards and the convictions that, that come to you through the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. But most of the time when people are in conflict, most of the time, I'm telling it right, most of the time when people are in conflict and at odds with other people, it has to do with their own pride, their selfish ambitions, their, listen, personal preferences. And you see, we need to be willing to lay all of that down in order to have peace with all men. Some Christians just looking for a conflict. And they feel, real, they feel real righteous. You know, it's this righteous indignation. They're not obeying the Lord. Because as much as is possible, as much as depends on you, you're supposed to live at peace with all men. All men. Sinners. Reprobates. Bad people. As much as depends on you, you're supposed to live at peace with those people. Now, sometimes you can't. I mean, if they want to tell you you can't talk about Jesus, well, you talk about him anyway. But as much as is possible, you live in peace with all men. Verse 19, he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Give place to wrath. It's talking about God's wrath. Something that's not talked about much today. But God's wrath is very real. It's all through the Bible. It's all through the New Testament. I've heard these silly people, they talk about, well, in the Old Testament, you know, God was mean. He was a wrathful God. But in the New Testament, he's cool, he's nice, it's all good. I read in Romans chapter 1 that even now, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. I read that the Lamb of God is coming back in Revelation and people will hide their face from the wrath of the Lamb. But I'm telling you that right here in this passage in Romans where he's telling us not to repay evil for evil, that vengeance belongs to God and he will repay, it says leave room for wrath. And it's talking about the wrath of God. See, we don't repay because God will. The wrath of God. He doesn't lose his temper. But he does have wrath. He has anger towards the wrongdoer. And we need to remember that. You know, when we repay, we're putting ourselves in God's place. Here's the thing. We are, in effect, removing God from the equation. Because if you repay, he will not. But if we do what he says and obey his word, he's given us this promise. This is amazing to me. You know, we talk about the promises of provision and promises of healing and peace and all kinds of things. This is just as much a promise as anything else in the scripture when he says, I will repay. This is the God who cannot lie. That's what the Bible says. People say, is there anything God cannot do? Yeah. The Bible says he cannot lie. The God who cannot lie says, I will repay. We believe it, amen? Absolutely. See, we need to get this down in our heart because I'm telling you, a lot of people, they're just, they don't really think so. They're just really unsure about it. Because ah, when, when they're wronged, they start wanting to, you know, say something back. They curse me. They're talking about me. Let me tell you about them. Somebody did them wrong in a business deal. They want to get them back. 
That sorry neighbor brings their dog up in my yard to go to the bathroom every day so I have to clean it up. Or that guy that goes for a walk, he's working on his health and he flicks his cigarette in my yard as he goes by. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to load it all up and I'm going to go put it in his yard. That's just right. It's his. I'm going to return it. Guy cuts you off on the freeway. I'll show him. I'm going to get in front of him. I'm going to slow down. People do all kinds of crazy stuff all the time. I'm talking about Christians, believers. One way, a little thing here, a little thing there. I mean, we're going to do it in the Christian way, so we're going to keep it subtle, you know. Disobeying God. But we need to remember this. This is a command. Do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't take it away from him. Vengeance is his. You take it into your hands, you're taking it out of his. I don't know about you, I absolutely can't stand to see somebody get away with doing wrong, and especially when they're doing wrong to someone else, when they're hurting someone else or when they wrong someone else. I absolutely hate that. You know what? I think the Lord hates it too. I want to tell you one of the quickest ways to get yourself in a mess with the Lord is to be mean to somebody. And you need to realize God takes care of it. He repays. It's a promise. But when we return evil, when we don't forgive, I think most of the time it's because we don't really believe God's word. We don't really believe that he's going to take care of it. If we absolutely knew that God's going to make it right, then we wouldn't even be tempted to take it into our own hands. It's a trust issue. We just got to take God at his word that he will repay now I want you to know this verse doesn't override all the mercy of God. But when somebody is unmerciful, and I'm not going to get into a long teaching on the word mercy and unmercy, unmerciful, but I'm just telling you that, that when you're cruel to somebody, when you're mean to somebody, that is unmerciful. And when you're unmerciful, then you're going to have judgment without mercy. That's what the Bible says. See, God doesn't cut a lot of slack for somebody that's unmerciful. If they're mean and nasty, I'm telling you, it's going to come back on them. The Lord's going to see to it. Let's keep going. Verse 20. He says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Take your enemy out to eat. Oh, man. That's a tall order, isn't it? If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome by e do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I want you to get all this in context here. See, when he's talking about heaping coals of fire on his head, he's not talking about burning the guy. I mean, the very next thing he says, he says, don't, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that would not be good putting a fire on their head. Some people got the idea Although, well, this means if you're good to them, it means that in hell, they're going to get extra coals. That's not it. 
But when it's talking about heaping coals of fire on their head, it's, it's talking about that as you, you see, as you continue to do good to them, that's hard. But you're, you're loving your enemy. You're praying for them. You're blessing them when they're cursing you. You're doing good to them. As you continue to do good to them, it is heaping a burning shame on them that their conscience will begin to feel that. As you continue to do good to them, even though they are wronging you, that shame will bring them either to a place, listen, it'll bring them either to a place of repentance or a place of judgment. Now I want to tell you, God, the Lord, is always for repentance and reconciliation and restoration. And you see, when we do what the Scripture says, it opens the door for God to deal with that person's heart. If we respond with evil, we're closing that door. But if we, if we do what God says, it opens the door for, he, for him to work in that person's heart and bring them to a place of repentance, reconciliation, restoration. Now, I want to say this really clearly. It'll bring them to a place of rep- repentance and reconciliation, or it will bring them to a place of God's vengeance. Because he says, I will repay. A lot of Christians, I think, have the idea that if it is another Christian that wronged them, and I got to tell you, for me as a minister, and I think it's true for a lot of Christians, most of the time when I've been wronged, it was other Christians doing it. Almost every time. Only time I ever got in trouble in the workplace for having a Bible and talking about the Lord, it was other Christians that didn't like it. But I'm just telling you, almost every time in my life, in fact, just off the top of my head, I can't think of a single instance when it was, you know, ungodly, unregenerate, unbelievers. Now, I I will say that it was some that were probably Christian only in name only, but almost always Christians. Let me tell you something. So a lot of believers kind of think, well, you know, if they're a Christian, you know, then God's not going to repay them evil or repay them for their evil. I believe what the Bible says. And I believe it all fits together. Does God forgive? See, some people think, well, you know, if they're a Christian, then God just automatically forgives them. This is one of the craziest, most damaging doctrines of our day. That as a Christian, I'm automatically forgiven for whatever I do. That is not in the Bible. Not one time does it say that doesn't imply it. You can, you can certainly try to twist some things around to say that, but the Bible never says that I'm automatically forgiven. I can be mean to people. I can hate on people. I can steal from people. I can do people wrong. I can do whatever I want. To. I'm automatically forgiven because I'm a Christian. That's the kind of hogwash hypocrisy that keeps people from wanting anything to do with Christianity. It's not in the Bible. Playing games with God. You know, a week or two ago, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. 
See, it's just false doctrine to think that there's never any consequences when we do wrong. Here's what the Bible does say about forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If they confess their sin to God, I want to tell you there's a couple of things that, that you need to know about that. First, if they're, in, if they're sincere in admitting to God that they did you or did somebody wrong, then they should also seek reconciliation and restoration. They should, they, if they're sincere in, in admitting they're wrong to God, then they should try to make it right. And the other thing I want to tell you about that, though, is that even when God forgives, that doesn't mean that there's, that there's no consequences. I tell you, you know, he's good and he doesn't, He's merciful. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. But there are a lot of times that even though a person is forgiven, there are still consequences for their sins and their wrongs. If you, you know, I, I can tell you this is true in all of our lives, but if you're, you, know, you want a big example of that, well, ask the guys on death row. Because a lot of them have gotten right. I mean, they, they gotten with the Lord. They, they realize they're looking at an eternity and they got saved for real. But they're still living in the consequences of their sin. And I just want to tell you that this is true, that just because God forgives someone doesn't mean they get a free pass on ugly, hurtful, mean things that they did. No, God forgives, but sometimes there are still consequences Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus forgave people and he healed people. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man. And later he talks to him again. I will read verse 14 to you. It says, After, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, you know, I want to say this real clearly, that most of the time somebody's sickness or illness is not related to, the, to a sin that they committed, but rather related to Adam's sin, that they live in a fallen world. But Jesus makes it real clear to this man. He says, you better straighten up or a worse thing's going to come upon you. So we just need to realize that, yes, God is gracious and loving, kind and forgiving, but don't think that everybody just gets a free pass, automatic forgiveness for everything. There are consequences when people do wrong, and you need to know this. You see, the mercy, the forgiveness of God does not negate the promise of God that He will repay. I will repay, and He does. You know, the concept that vengeance belongs to God is not new. Some people think that in the Old Testament, you know, we had the right to exact an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It also says, you know, certain sins, you stone people. That did not mean that they could, an individual could just go, hey, they did that, I'm going to get me some rocks, I'm going to go stone them. No, that's not in there. This is talking about the laws of the land. This is talking about the government. That principle was given to regulate judgment for crimes. It keeps the government from making punishment that's too harsh or too lenient. It was intended to be carried out by the government, not by individuals. 
And by the way, we need to understand that our forgiveness of someone doesn't mean that if they've committed crimes that they shouldn't have to pay. Sometimes Christians get real confused about this and You know, usually the guilty will try to confuse you about it. But as a Christian, that doesn't mean that a person that committed a crime against you, that you should automatically say, oh, no, no charges. You need to realize that God has given us the law of the land and those in authority for that very purpose. They need to be held accountable for their crimes. You forgive them personally. Romans 13, 1 through 4, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. See, our law enforcement and the courts are God's servant to avenge and execute judgment. Do they ever make mistakes? Yes, they're human. You know, here's a story from the Bible. Joseph is working for Potiphar as a slave and he's doing a great job, but then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of rape and he's thrown in prison. It was unjust. But God makes it right. And eventually, Joseph is restored. He is put in a great place of authority, a position of great power where he can help the whole known world through a time of famine and what they meant for evil, his brothers, but also Potiphar's wife, what was meant for evil, God turned for good. And you see, we need to realize that, but I just, I just want you to understand that when it comes to the laws of the land and crimes that are committed, that's different than a Christian personally forgiving. We don't take the law into our own hands. We forgive and we let God worked through the laws of the land. But listen, the bottom line for us is that if we want the blessing of God on our life, we have to obey God. Jesus says those who hear the word of God and do it are blessed. So you need to know this is also an Old Testament principle Principle in Deuteronomy 32, 35. He says, vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. And I want to tell you that I have personally seen it so many times. God is faithful. He does what he says. It's not always on our timetable. And sometimes it's not where we see it or maybe we know about it. Can anybody believe that? See, I don't have to, I don't have to believe it just when I see it. I know that God is faithful to his word. Even when it doesn't happen the next day, even when it doesn't happen in a way that I see it. But I will tell you this, that I have seen it over and over and over again, that God is faithful to this word. If we don't walk in forgiveness, 
We find ourselves looking for little ways to get even. You know, one of the ways that so often we repay an evil is with our mouth. Maybe it's an unkind word to that person or maybe we talk about them behind their back. But if we don't forgive, it keeps those wrongs committed against us tied around our own neck. And when you hold that unforgiveness, it turns to bitterness and usually we end up, it hurts us, but it also hurts those that we love. And you know, when you act on that unforgiveness and you repay evil for evil, I want to tell you, your disobedience will bring consequences. You might want to say, but that's not fair. They started it. (laughs) He hit me first. Little kids. And yet adults have the same kind of mindset. We might not hit somebody, but we're like, they, they started it. They did this to me. God won't overlook our disobedience. You want the blessing of the Lord? You got to obey the scripture. There's a story about Leonardo da Vinci when he was painting the Last Supper He had a terrible argument with a fellow painter. And when it came time for him to paint the face of Judas Iscariot, he painted his adversary's face so that this other painter, his face would live in infamy for generations. A little bit later... It was time for him to paint the face of Jesus. And he couldn't do it. He kept trying and trying and trying. And he he just couldn't get it right. He just couldn't do it. And he finally realized that the problem was his unforgiveness. And what he had done to this other painter. And he had to make it right before he could finish the painting. And here's the thing. You see, a lot of the time when we hold unforgiveness and we want to seek revenge, we want to repay, it is such a distraction from our work. It is the enemy pulling us aside, keeping us from being effective for God. The things that we're supposed to do, we cannot do well when we have that unforgiveness and bitterness in our heart. And when we're seeking vengeance or we want to repay, even if it's just in some little way, oh, what an affront that is to the character and person of God when we take that into our own hands. And what a terrible witness it is to the world of who we are. I know. All of us are hurt sometimes and maybe in a terrible way and it can be hard to get over. It just takes an act of the will to choose to forgive. And then we pray and God gives us the strength and the grace to do it. I myself find that even in the daily things, it's easy sometimes to take up an offense and be irritated with someone who's inconsiderate. Might be your spouse or co-worker or a stranger and then you want to treat them back the same. What did our Lord say? Instead, you treat them the way you want to be treated. 
Why should we act like the world? That's not who we are. Little girl, mother sees her scowling. She's making this horrible face at their dog. Well, their dog happens to be a bulldog, and that's just the way they look. And you're driving down the road and somebody starts, you know, giving you the what for, whatever that is. You know, somebody that's not in their right mind, crazy person, angry person, bitter person, and now you're going to act just like them. That's not who you are. There's a Hungarian refugee many years ago. He was a successful lawyer in Hungary before there were uprisings in 1956. And he was a strong believer in freedom. So he fought Soviet tanks in the streets of Budapest with his friends. But when the uprising failed, he had to flee the country. He came to the United States and he didn't have any money, had no job, no friends. But he was well-educated. He spoke several languages, including English. And for months, he tried to get a job in a law office. But because of his lack of familiarity with American law, he, he, he got nothing but refusals. And finally, it occurred to him that with his knowledge of language, he might be able to get a job with an import-export company. And so he found one particular company that he was really interested in. And so he wrote him a letter. And a couple of weeks later, he gets a, a letter back and in this letter back, it was really harsh and he just wasn't really prepared for the vindictiveness of the, le of the letter. And, you know, it, it talked about how he couldn't even write good English. Why in the world was he applying to them? And he was really crushed and hurt and angered by the whole thing. And at first he was, he was so angry that he, he writes out this really ugly letter back. And after he finished the letter, he, he started feeling you know, like maybe this isn't the right thing to do. And the more that he thought about it, he finally decided that maybe the man was right. Maybe his English wasn't really good enough. Maybe this was really something that would help him to get better and do better. And so he writes the man back a letter and tells him, thank you for pointing this out to me and helping me. I want to learn and do better. And, and he, he mails the letter to him. And he gets a call a couple of weeks later and the man tells him, he says, I want you to come to New York. I want to interview you. He ends up going to work for this import-export company and becomes a top executive and is, was in succession in line to, be, to take the place of the man who had hired him. And here's the thing. You see, so much of the time we keep ourselves from promotion and from blessing because we didn't obey the Lord, because we got sideways, got an attitude, got angry, had unforgiveness. I want to tell you, the Lord will repay. I will repay. That's what he says. Why don't we see that more often? I think it's because too often we take it into our own hands. 
But we need to understand this. God is all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. He's in control. There's not anything he doesn't see, not anything he doesn't know, not anything he can't do. We just need to trust him to take care of us and trust him to take care of those who do wrong. I've been wrong so many times. We all have. I want to tell you none of it stuck. None of it stuck. I'm fine. All of us have times when we're mistreated. And so much of it is just a distraction of the enemy to get us off, off track, away from our race, away from, away from our goals and our task at hand, the call and the purpose of God in our life. So next time that you are wronged, realize you've got bigger things at stake, bigger things than your pride, hopefully, bigger things than your image, and bigger things even than your pain. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, we go through some things. It's all temporary. I mean, I don't mean to make light of terrible hurts, but I'm just telling you it's all temporary. But there is an eternal weight of glory. There are things that are coming that far exceed. They're far more important than what we go through in this life. We just can't afford to indulge ourselves in revenge. Those that wrong you, they're not bigger than God. He'll take care of them. I want to read to you or talk about It's just one of my very favorite stories in the Bible. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I'm going to read quite a bit of it because it just, well, it just says it better than I can say it. But I'll just at least start into it this way. The scripture in 1 Samuel 25, it tells us about a rich man, a man who was very rich. In fact, his name was Nabal. He had a beautiful and intelligent wife. He pretty much just had everything going for him, but he was harsh and mean in his dealings. The name Nabal even means wicked and foolish. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and David and his men had been in that area and they had watched over Nabal's flocks and shepherds. So when there's a feast day, David sends 10 of his young men to Nabal to see if Nabal would give them something to eat, some food for this feast day. In fact, it says, he said it this way, they were, to, they were to say to him, peace be to you, peace to your house, peace to all that you have. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. Verse 10, then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his master. He insults David by suggesting that David is some kind of runaway slave. Like, who is David? I want to tell you that everybody in Israel knew who David was. David was the one that killed Goliath. 
They sang songs about him that he has killed his tens of thousands. They knew that Samuel had anointed him to be the next king. He knew well who David was, but instead of acknowledging that, instead of answering this request, he he instead insults David and insults his men. So when the men return to David and tell David what Nabal's response was, David tells his men, he says, everybody put on a sword, let's go. 400 men go heading out to Nabal's house. 200 stayed with their stuff, but 400 men strapped on a sword, they're heading to Nabal's house. In the meantime, one of Nabal's young men went and told Nabal's wife, Abigail, that as, uh, that as long as they were near David's men, it was like a wall of protection that they watched over them and kept them safe. But now Nabal has insulted David and his men and great harm is going to come. And so Abigail, she gets her servants together and she quickly loads up a bunch of of, uh, donkeys with food and she heads out to go to meet David. And we're going to pick it up there in the scripture in verse 20. And I just encourage you to read this story later. It is amazing. But so it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him and he has repaid me evil for good. You been there? (laughs) May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belongs to him by morning light. David is talking about an absolute slaughter and he can do it. Not one male, not an old guy, not a little boy, not one male will be left. Verse 23, now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord, that's Jehovah there, As the Lord lives and your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you. She's making reference to Saul there and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has 
when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offensive heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt with well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. It's amazing how she came and she had this word from God for David. You're going to be king. You don't want this on your record. You don't want this on your conscience that you took vengeance into your own hands. Who's this woman? First of all, David is a mighty warrior. He's got 400 men and here comes this little lady. Wow. She was something else. She's not just a lady. This is his enemy's wife. Now David, he, he was something else. Because most men would have ignored the little lady with the word from God. David didn't. No, he knew. He knew that this was the Lord. Verse 32, then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. They received the gifts, the food that she brought. And then in verse 38, it says, then it happened that about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. David didn't have to avenge himself. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose and bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey and attended by five of her maidens. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. I want to close tonight. I got one minute. I want to close tonight with turning your attention to the person who was rejected, who was more mistreated, who was more scorned, who was more hated, the person who suffered more wrong than any of us. You know who he is. You know him well. Our Savior, our Lord. And after he went through all of that, after he was scourged and spit upon and beaten and crucified, you know what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. This is our example that we don't take vengeance into our own hands, but we forgive. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. I want to tell you this though. He is victorious. 
He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will make his enemies his footstool. I want you to know that when you forgive, that God will take care of you. You need to know this. He took care of our Lord, our Lord and Savior and he'll take care of you. But we got to be obedient to his word. We don't take vengeance ourselves. We don't repay evil for evil, but we repay good for evil. Not easy. Oh, but what liberty, what freedom there is when you realize, hey, I don't have to repay. I leave that to God. He's the one that takes care of my battles. He's the one that takes care of that. Stand with me. We're going to pray right now.